Welcome to the C-Suite podcast from Slush 2023 from a beautiful and snowy Helsinki. We're producing this podcast in partnership with Remote, the global HR platform. I'm your host, Graham Barrett, and I'm going to be speaking to the attendees from Remote Stand here at the event. Really hope you enjoy the conversations. I'm now here with Vlada Musfadita. She is the CEO and founder of Walk 15. Vlada, lovely to see you here today. Hello. <laughs> Talk to me about Walk 15. What, what is this all about? Walk 15 is a sustainable activity platform for companies. And what we do, actually, we engage companies' employees and we help for special for HR person to have amazing, simple tool and then they can create a lot of activities, challenges, and of course, motivated people to choose good habits and to work more. So if you download the app, which I have, and I'm now using Walk15, you can use this where you live, but also, say you go on holiday or you go on a business trip, you can do challenges in those locations as well, correct? Yes, correct, and the app is free to use. Actually, we work global, and we already have 26 different languages, and for example, you, came because you want you know to download this app we didn't promote our app for b2c we promote only to the b2b companies which generated for us not only users but revenue too this is about the business model. Yeah, well, talk to me about the business model then. What, what is the business model behind it? Companies buy our annual subscription and then they go to our platform and then can create unlimited time, unlimited, you know, challenges for their employees. And it's an amazing thing because it's very simple. Your employees should only scan one QR code or one active link and that's all. They participate all together and for example it's very good because you can participate in different countries, whatever you are. And of course after that you can buy something only with your steps. Yeah, brilliant. And so you founded the, well, you came up with the idea in 2019, wasn't it? Yes. Can you believe how far it's come in no. that short time? No, of course. No. What, what did you imagine when you first set up? Actually, my world was only Lithuania. This tool I create for my kids because I have two kids. I think that I want to you know, create a better world for my kids and special in school. Then we reach, I remember, first 10,000 app users, it was huge for me, oh my god. And now we have 602,000 app users. It is 20% of all Lithuanian population. It's so huge yeah. and actually... It's hard to get your head around. Yeah. So what have been the challenges then of growing the business? Well, yes, of course, people. How to find employees? And actually now it's uh, our main focus at uh, Germany market. Actually the challenge is, first of all, how create a company? all you know agreements, how to find employees, how to find uh, maybe a company which can help you, support you, because yeah, now all companies you know want you know to help you and said yeah we, f we will find for you employees and, and etc. But it's not easy to find maybe a salesperson or, or what you want you know. When you first came up with the idea, as you said, it was just really for your kids. You didn't really have a business in mind at that point or in the back of your mind somewhere, did you? No, it's, no. it's for me because we born from community. 2016, we together with my team, we create working competition. It's physical event. Just 
you walk 15,000 steps, it is the track, you go with your family, and after that you buy in, uh, in steps market. You can buy only with your steps fruits and vegetables, you know, in this physical event. And via four years, we uh, looked at people so like uh, our idea, maybe we can, you know, create some tool and then it's of course in our tool should be step challenges, then step wallet and the tracks and then we present this tool for our audience and it's very interesting when was COVID actually we started you know to help schools and especially for teachers and we create school challenge which school is the most walkable school for example in Lithuania and then you know started calling for us parents because they didn't believe that they just started working too and it's super maybe you can arrange something you know for our company and how everything is tough snowballs yes yeah we'll go back to the talent bit then as well so how big is the business in terms of the number of employees and how do you make sure that the people you're attracting to the business are the right fit Yes, now we already have 20 people in in our office in Vilnius and our strategy is that we're looking, you know, for example, now for the German salesperson, but he or she should, you know, to live in Vilnius, first of all. And then next step is to find in Berlin, for example, I, of course, uh, amazing salesperson, which believe in startups. <laughs> and yeah, and uh, of course it's difficult. So what still excites you about Walk 15? Obviously you had that idea, you came up with it for your kids. What excites you today when you wake up in the morning? Actually, uh, I'm very happy and I'm very proud that uh, we already reached our goal in Lithuania and I changed this world as Lithuania and we grow. Actually, we change Lithuanian people's habits and now every time it's amazing because everybody which know Walk 15 and then they see me, they show me the steps as you. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's so crazy. Yeah. And people like this idea and I think, you know, the most important thing is the vision and not money, but the vision. My vision now is to change, you know, really all world habits and Germany and later, of course, we will go to the US. It's mind-blowing, yeah. Well, look, I don't normally endorse things on this podcast, but I'm happy to endorse Walk 15. <laughs> yes. Vlada Musvedaita, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thank you. I'm now here with Frederick Hannel, who is the director of Impact Venture at EIT Urban Mobility. Frederick, yes. lovely to see you. Nice to see you. Yeah. Thanks for inviting me. No, nice. thanks for coming by and speaking to us. Could we start first by just getting an introduction from you about what EIT Urban Mobility is and what you do? Yes, so EIT Urban Mobility is an organisation co-funded by the European Commission with the purpose of creating more livable cities by supporting innovation in urban mobility. So typically we look at projects, academy, uh, courses, etc. But which is the main reason why we're here, we also work with startups. So what are some of these innovative solutions that you're looking at for cities? Well, for example, everything from electrification, so electrification of roads, finding new electric vehicles that can replace the cars in the cities, for example. Everything from that to solutions 
enabling bicycles or solutions that push citizens to change their mobility behavior from or rather towards more sustainable alternatives. How easy is that? Is it just about giving people more choice? No, it's actually it's it's quite complex. So we work with one startup that specifically has succeeded in reducing the emissions from congestion in the city by 14% by nudging citizens and users to actually to move towards other alternatives. And this is based on behavioral science. It's quite deep tech. So people tend not to want to change, basically. Yeah. So we have to push them in some way. Yeah, we get stuck in our ways, obviously. Yes. We like to go to work in yeah. the same way that we always have. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Yeah. So, okay, you've spoken about your role with startups and your director of Impact Venture. So what specifically do you do? So my main focus is to invest in startups. Right. Uh, I guess the bit what differentiates us from other kinds of investors is that we make it a point of investing in startups all across Europe and also the affiliated countries like Israel and Turkey, for example. And also we look specifically for startups that actually can prove that they create a real impact in the cities which, of course, everybody says that they look at impact, they're doing impact investing, but very few can actually live up to it for real. And that's where we really try to put it on the forefront. And how has Slush 2023 been for you? What kind of conversations have you been having? We brought, uh, I think, 22 of our startups to this show to expose them to, first of all, what Slush is, which is a fantastic event. It gives you a lot of positive energy. But this is the only place, I think, where you can find all the investors are here and you can find, uh, you know, other startups that are doing similar things that you can learn from. So the feedback that we get is pretty much that they have full agendas in reaching out and talking to investors in the one-on-one meetings, etc. If we look at what we as the ITR Mobility are looking at here, we want to position ourselves as an impact investor, of course. And so we want people to know that we invest in startups. Uh, we want people to know that we really are looking for the best ones out there as well. Now, we've been talking a lot today about the challenges of growing a business from the country where you started it, expanding that into Europe and beyond. What are some of your thoughts about how to do that effectively? Well, actually, that is exactly the main value add that we can provide as a European organization because many of the startups, they typically they come to us and then they are looking for opportunities in other regions, in other cities, in other countries. And we are pretty much a network-based kind of organization where we try to get different parties to communicate between different countries, etc. So the startups are offered opportunities way outside of their own sort of geographical area and also uh, ability to scale going forward. Yeah, so you're facilitating all of that. That's really interesting. Okay, so what's next then? What, what do you hope to achieve in the next, I don't know, 12 months beyond that? Well, we're going to continue to invest. Hopefully, we will have reached out to more startups here at Slush. So we'll get some really good candidates to invest in going forward. And, you know, if we become more and more positioned as a strong investor, this will allow us to actually to go in and to syndicate with other investors and future investments as well. So that's what I'm really looking forward to. Sounds super exciting. Frederick Hannell. Thank you so much. Appreciate your time today. Thank you. Cheers.
I'm here with Dr. Finner Pind. He is the co-founder and CEO of Treble Technologies. Lovely to see you here today. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. Yeah, well talk to me about Treble Technologies. Give me an introduction to what you guys do. Yeah, so we are a software startup working in the world of sound and we're developing a sound simulation platform. That's a platform that will allow you to design the sound of basically anything. The sound of buildings, cars, tech products, and even virtual experiences. Wow, so how long has the business been going now? Around four years, is that right? Uh, just over three years. Yeah. Uh, so we founded in late 2020. Okay, and what have been some of the challenges along the way? There have been quite a few challenges, yeah, as couple. there should be, <laughs> but you know, overall it's been kind of going in the right direction for yeah. sure. Learnings, not challenges. Exactly, let's yeah. put it that way. <laughs> but there's been a challenge in growing our team, for example. You know, we need specialized talent uh, and so on. Challenges in winning over customers, solving technical problems, you know, just the usual suspects, I suppose, for startup building. Yeah. Well, you talked about talent. How do you find the right talent for the business? Yeah, I mean, uh, we kind of have, from the get-go, tried to be a very sort of apparent company, you know. We put the word out and we kind of put ourselves out there obviously to attract customers and so on, but also to attract talent. So we are active on LinkedIn and we are we're active in participating in conferences and, and so on, just to kind of, so people are aware. And then kind of through word of mouth and, and so on, people become aware of trouble and yeah, and then we snatch them up. When you meet someone, do you immediately know if they're going to fit into the culture of trouble technologies? That's a really good question. I do believe that sort of, yeah, this initial gut feeling that you get when you meet people, Usually my experience is that what you then end up with is in alignment with your initial gut feeling. Now that's really interesting actually about gut feeling as well. How much do you rely on gut feeling as a successful business person? I think quite a lot. Maybe yeah. more than I would like to admit even, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what about expanding the business then? You're headquartered now in um, Iceland, aren't you? In Reykjavik? Yep, that's um, correct. How do you go about expanding the business? What, have you, what are your plans for going global, going European, going further afield than that? Right, so what we do is inherently very global. I would say so there's not a big difference we don't have to adjust our product for different markets and geographies or something like that and our customers are from all over the world and we basically sort of try to scale and uh, win over customers everywhere do marketing everywhere in the world and and likewise with talent you know we we try to attract people from everywhere and we are still kind of all in the same building you know yeah. in triple we're on 35 people now we kind of felt that at least here in the early days that's a nice way to do things it's not the only way for sure but you know but moving forward you know whether we will all stay in Reykjavik I don't I'm not even sure that that's viable you know so probably opening up offices elsewhere and so on well exciting times yeah what's the culture like in Reykjavik is that a good place for startups absolutely the kind of startup scene and ecosystem is really good and booming and there have been some very successful companies built there it's changed a lot in the last 10-15 years to the better for sure well, what about the future then so what, what does that look like for Treble Technologies we talked a little bit about expansion maybe an office in different locations what other plans do you have? Yeah, I mean, we're, we sometimes say that we're scaling up and scaling out. Scaling up in, you know, the traditional sense of yeah, yeah. Uh, selling more and putting it more out, what we have put out. And scaling out in the sense of kind of expanding our product and platform to address more markets and so on. We're just about to kick off our Series A fundraising efforts now. Okay. We're excited about that, going into that quite optimistic because things have been going very well at Triple and so maybe 
grow the team up to 50 people or something like that in the coming year. Just finish up with talking me through that fundraising round. How does it actually work in practice? I mean, how long does that process last and is it quite stressful? Right. It's at least a lot of work for sure. And, you know, you're kind of always fundraising to some extent because you're always sowing seeds and meeting people over the course of a long time, you know, and meeting investors. So we've been doing that for a while now. We've done two fundraising rounds also in the past. But now we're sort of officially kicking it off, which means that we go out and meet a bunch of investors. We kind of pitch them the business case that Treble is and, yeah, have a dialogue with what they can bring to the table beyond just the money and because there's a lot of value and partnership that you get working with investors beyond just the money. Yeah. Is it interesting to get that feedback from them, to get a different perspective on the business? Because obviously you know what yeah. you had in your mind, but I guess some people might think of it slightly differently. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, not all investors will get it or just be interested or maybe it won't fit what type of investments they do and that's totally fine you know yeah okay well best of luck with that thanks so much for joining me on the podcast dr finnapind thank you so much for having me i've now stepped away from remote's booth here at slush in helsinki and i've come to this rather cozy rather intimate little podcast pod here and i'm joined by daniel vickberg who is the ceo and founder of upsales daniel very nice to see you good to be here wonder if i could first ask you about upsales and about your journey, I guess. And what were you hoping to achieve when you first started upsales? Yeah, so it's a funny story. It's actually 20 years ago now. So uh, I was only 21 when I started the business. And uh, the background was actually when I was in high school, when I was just 16 years old, I actually built this uh, very, very basic uh, kind of sales tool for, for a company my father was running. Um, and uh, so, so I kind of had that in the back of my mind. Uh, and then I was planning to go to uh, do engineering studies, uh, but uh, decided to take like a year, a sabbatical year uh, and ended up in a sales job. Uh, and I realized that the tools that were used back then to like keep track of customers and deals and so on were really crappy. So that was kind of the starting point. Uh, and then I actually moved on from, from that company to another uh, sales position. And at that company, they didn't have a CRM. So I actually, I, I'm, a, I'm an old de- developer. So I spent like two or three days just to hack something together for my own use. Um, and by chance, I just started talking about this with a customer on a call. Uh, and they said, yeah, but we need something like that. So I, I went back to the office, quit my job. And that was kind of, that was the first customer actually. Yeah, I mean, I guess you find that with a lot of startups, it's solving a particular problem. And if you can Absolutely. if you can do that, then there's obviously a huge opportunity. Now, tell me a little bit about some of the challenges along the way and maybe some of the learnings that you've had when uh, when growing this business. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously in 20 years, there's been quite, quite a few challenges. So I think, um, I mean, one of them, we're a bootstrap company. And I think that that was the right way for us to go because since I was just 21 years old, I, I, d- I had zero knowledge about basically anything related to business. I mean, just learning what a business is and how to run a business at the same time as you're doing it is, is quite a challenge. I mean, in the early days, you, you pretty much sell to any company and do whatever they want you to do <laughs> just to stay alive. Uh, so I think kind of figuring out what should the focus be, who are the customers we should specifically sell to and what specific problems should we solve for them and and having the guts to, to actually go for that, uh, that took us 
quite a long time before we figured it out. That, yeah, that was a big challenge. Now, obviously, as you grow as a company, you need more people, don't you? So how do you attract and retain the best talent out there? So I, I would highlight two things. Uh, the first one being to trying to figure out what is your culture uh, and then figuring out at which other companies do you find a similar culture and just pinpoint people in, in those businesses. Uh, and the second one is now when, when you're able to access talent like anywhere in the world, uh, we have actually a, a specific example. There's a guy uh, working in a, in a, I don't know which country, but a very, very exotic country uh, in the Far East. He's actually a professor uh, in a specific area in computer science. So, I mean, being able to, to hire that guy without, you know, all the headaches of actually going there and setting up an office and everything, that, that has been... Yeah, that has been an advantage for us. So we have more examples like that. But, but uh, yeah, I, I think that's, that's a good, uh, good example of, of kind of accelerating how you can grow the organization. Yeah. So how do you do that then? How do you find that, the talent out there? Um, so we, we, we tend to look at uh, specifically at which companies do we find like a similar culture uh, similar to the one at Upsales. Uh, because, I mean, we are a bootstrap company. We have always been profitable and... And that creates a, a totally different culture than the one you have in a like VC-funded business, in my opinion. So I think we tend to look for companies that has like similar size, similar culture, similar you know, ways of, of uh, funding the business. Uh, and then we just pinpoint people at those, uh, those companies, basically. Okay. Well, to finish up here, tell me what's next for upsells. What can we, what can we look out for, for from you guys? So, I mean, again, I, I think we really nailed our focus in the last few years. So we, we have a very clear target group now. So we're, we're active in, in the Nordic region. Um, so getting more like more customers outside of Sweden where we have our HQ. Uh, and the target is to grow the ARR from, from 15 million to, to, uh, to 100 million euros in the next few years. So, yeah, exciting times ahead. Exciting times. Yeah. Well, we wish you all the best with that. Daniel Wickberg, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thank you. Joining me now is Jakob Korczak, who is the CFO of Proton Pharmaceuticals. Lovely to see you here today. Nice to meet you too. Let's just start by talking about Proton Pharmaceuticals. What's the idea behind it? The idea is um, about uh, bacteriophages. Bacteriophages are very little viruses which are present everywhere in the planet, probably the most, most spread organism on the planet. But they are friendly viruses, so they are viruses which fight bacteria, certain types of bacteria. If we want to target a bacteria, we use bacteriophage. They are very efficient and they are not uh, providing not, no uh, resistance over time in, in, in the bodies of people, for example. So, yeah, what we do, we, do, we combine them, we combine those uh, phages into cocktails and give them to, um, as a feed additive to animals. So explain to me why there's a need for this, because and explain to me what the AMR crisis is. What, what yeah. is that all about? So it's antimicrobial resistance. So this is a resistance to um, certain antibiotics, which we've been, we have been using for, for almost 100 years right now. Right, so um, people and animals are getting sick and they can, cannot be cured by standard uh, therapies because of uh, the resistance that has been built over time in their bodies because of what they consume, because of where they live and so on. So there's a need to eliminate that from the environment and there are ways to do it. First of all, eliminate um, antibiotics, use of antibiotics or 
minimize it to an extent which is acceptable, and then find solutions to um, to basically replace them with something that is not building res any resistance. Right. I mean, is this resistance something we should be quite worried about? Is this going to impact all our lives fairly soon? Yeah. Um, according to uh, research uh, done by uh, World Bank, I believe, or United Nations as well, AMR is uh, to become um, a similar comparable um, reason for deaths um, in people by 2050, comparable to cancer. Wow. So it's uh, it's a growing issue. It's yeah. definitely a growing issue. For the moment, it costs like 1.2 to 1.3 million lives of 1.2 to 1.3 million people a year. So I guess there's a need to grow this business uh, to yeah. get this international to make sure it helps as many people as possible. So to develop therapies and to have a proven methods, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what are, at uh, Proteon, what are your plans for, for growing the business internationally? How do you hope to do that? We are a company which is uh, which has already product on the market, which is uh, for uh, for poultry. Uh, we are a little bit struggling with entering European market because of um, the reg reg regulations. Really? Okay. We are waiting for to register the product for a fifth year right now. It's been a pain. We are trying to grow outside of Europe. We have a, a subsidiary in India, and we are trying to have a better footstep there. And then we have a number of different products targeting different needs for like um, salmonella, like mastitis, like uh, we have also methane reduction program as well. So a lot of, right? So we just need to have more experience and, and have more clients and, and sell more to the, to the market, yeah. basically. Obviously, it's a very technical business, very complicated business by the sound of it. I mean, you need to have the right people within the company who know what they're doing. How do you go about that? How do you attract the, the talent that's going to work for you? Yeah, so um, Proteon comes from which This is a city which, is, uh, which has relatively well-established um, uh, higher education systems, right? We have uh, university, we have technical university. This is where the... We're, we're, we're founder of the company and a couple of, um, of our uh, senior people come from. So we have a regular access to people uh, from, from the university. We are also growing the business um, in India. We are building a factory in Nashik. This is near Mumbai. There are also good uh, um, universities there. So we are trying to attract people there. So how we, want to, how we attract? It's access to new technologies. We have just opened this year a new R&D uh, facility, which employs 60 people in, in which, and it's a state-of-the-art, uh, really um, one of the most advanced uh, in, uh, in this business. We also have a, like, a phage library, we are on top of which we are building an AI tool to basically help us with creating certain, um, uh, certain therapies. So those topics, of course, attract people, but from a, apart from attracting, of course, you have to be pretty um, competitive on the market, right? Yeah, once you've got that in the company, then you've got to retain that talent as well, haven't you? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, and of course, for the moment, the challenge, the, the scientific challenge is, is uh, and then commercial challenge is one of those uh, themes that, that attract people to, to the company. Over time, of course, while the company grows, uh, it's, it's also the part of the of the pay which is connected with, uh, with employee stock. Right? Of course. So, I mean, that sounds like a, a high priority at the minute, growing the business internationally. Any other priorities at the moment? For the moment, we, we, we just need to scale the business, right? We, we, have, to, we have to scale to the, to, to, to the markets and get, finally, the approval for, for sale in the European Union. 
Western European markets uh, and Western markets in general, they treat um, antibiotic resistance and our products in a very different way. It's about AMR. While in Asia, less developed countries, it's more about uh, the animals not getting sick rather than passing on the AMR to people. Right? Okay, yeah. So it's a different need, but that need is also developing in, in well, basically everywhere. Yeah. Okay. Well, no, it sounds like essential work, so all the very best with that. Jakob Korshak, thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thanks, Okitos, to all our guests who came to speak with me on Remote Stand here at Slush 2023. I really hope you've enjoyed these conversations. Please do follow us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to contribute to the discussion, you can find us on LinkedIn and all the other social channels. But for now, thanks for listening and goodbye. <laughs>